Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor here at Modern Retail, and I'm joined here with Nick Guillen and Nick Agilani, the co-founders of Truff Hot Sauce. Um, and I'm excited to talk about being a growing CPG and also just talk about, I don't know, what it's like to, to be in the hot sauce, hot sauce space right now. But hey, Nick and Nick, how's it going? Hey, Kale. Thanks for having me. It's, it's going well. Yeah. Glad to hear it. So for those of our listeners who don't know what Truff is, why don't uh, why don't you guys just sort of give the story? You've been around for a few years now, right? Yeah, we've been around for a little over two years, uh, approaching year three here in December. Congrats. So what's, what? Uh, how did Truff come about? What's the story behind it? So Truff is a digitally native luxury lifestyle hot sauce brand uh, that Nick and I started working on um, about five years ago, and we launched in December of 2017. Um, the start of Truff was spawned from an Instagram handle called at sauce <laughs> that we acquired um, about five, six years ago uh, when we were in college. All right. Well, so I want to go back. Uh, you said a digitally native luxury hot sauce brand. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. All right. So what's the differentiator between, so is it just that it has nicer ingredients than Tabasco? What, how, what made you decide on both that moniker and that area to attack on? Yeah. So I to Nick's story on the Instagram handle. It's, it started off with his account called just at sauce. That was the handle. And we spent, um, you know, some good amount of time building up the account. Um, with no intention really to make a sauce in the first place. It was more so to have a really cool Instagram account. Um, and the content on that account included things that, you know, a variety of things, but ultimately things that were saucy. Um, you know, the word that we would know it in pop culture. And so that included food and cars and women. And, um, but the theme was always mainly food focused. And, you know, along the way it started to pop off and we were like, Hey, this is awesome. This following is great. I think we were at like 10,000 or so followers. And we kind of came up with the idea to make a sauce as a testament to this account and a sauce that would mm. fit the following that we built. Um, and naturally I think we wanted to kind of elevate the category. Um, we decided on hot sauce as opposed to barbecue sauce or ranch or, you know, salad dressing. Um, because to us, it was most culturally relevant, I would say. Um, and also Nick and I love hot sauce ourselves. And we had always, you know, we used <laughs> hot sauce all the time and growing up and all that kind of stuff. So we we're like, Hey, let's make, you know, hot sauce, but let's not just make a hot sauce. Let's make kind of more of a luxe hot sauce and, you know, a lifestyle hot sauce, something that we think would fit well online and in this account, um, in something that we could you know, build online, you know, be, be this digitally native brand of this upscale sauce. And that's when we looked at ingredients that could elevate it and, you know, hence truffle coming into play. Got it. Okay. So out of curiosity, and I've seen this happen with different Instagram accounts before, like they, they got a lot of following, they, they became, I don't know, maybe quasi meme accounts. And then they, they started launching products and they, they seemed to me like more like merch than like the center, the center hold of them. Would you say that, is that sort of how the idea started that it was secondary to the account or was it that now we're going to do hot sauce? So we had seen um, exactly what you're talking about over the last, you know, four or five years, uh, accounts that 
have grown rather quickly. They want to start selling, you know, t-shirts or hats or gag gifts or things that they think are funny. For us, we really wanted to build a cool brand, um, you know, something that would be highly respected and something that we could use this at sauce handle on Instagram <laughs> as the home base for the brand to live. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we didn't want, okay. the idea was not to like have this account. So I guess your question is interesting because there was a period of time where we were like, Hey, what if we turn this into a more like complex style media blog and also had merch? Um, and in that process, we were going to have this very expensive, like hundred dollar bottle of sauce with like gold plated nozzle and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then we kind of, kind of brought in the idea that was something that was a little bit more realistic. We didn't want to be a media merch account. We wanted to be a standalone, uh, very understandable CPG brand that was not media in any way other than, you know, media around the brand. Is that just because I imagine CPG is more straightforward to, as for growth as a brand than media. Media is kind of a gnarly business. Did that, did that fit into play or was it just sort of you wanted to, you, sauce seemed like a good plan? I think both. I mean, Nick and I had both had in our college days different, you know, we each had a CPG brand that we learned a lot of what we know now from that, those experiences. So it wasn't like we were, I wouldn't say new to CPG. Um, I think Mm -hmm. merch in general implies fashion and fashion in general is you never know what's going to happen in fashion. You might be hot one day and not so hot the next. And so I think we wanted to avoid that. Um, and so I think naturally we wanted to really focus, not be too like wild and have all these, we wanted to be very like in one lane. And I think that's where CPG falls into play. Okay. Yeah. What was your CPG background in college? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, yeah, we both had a couple and we, every time we had an adventure, we both helped each other with it. So it was like, we we're, you know, just kind of dabbling in a bunch of different things. Um, the two most notable businesses were a powdered beverage business, um, and a hat business. Um, and we both, I would say on the powdered beverage side, we learned a lot about like product development and R and D on the hat side. It was more so learning about, um, e-com and building online communities and the customer experience and customer support and, you know, the, the bells and whistles that make um, an online brand thrive versus, you know, mm -hmm. not really have a loyal customer base. Uh, what When you first launched in 2018, what was your general launch plan? Was it just sort of using as this, uh, the centerpiece your at sauce account? How did you sort of go about it? And then subsequently, how did you go about growing it in terms of, you know, channels, marketing, et cetera? So it was, it was actually, uh, December, 2017 is, uh, was the launch date. Um, and we had actually stopped posting on the account for about a year and a half up until the launch. We kind of just, you know, went dark. Um, and with our launch plan, we wanted to slowly tease out to our existing follower base that we were kind of up to something. Um, so, you know, we spread out a few posts over the course of, a couple of weeks right up until launch. Um, and along the way, Nick and I, we had built a little team um, for Truff to tap into existing networks, people that were influential in the culinary world, people that were influential in pop culture. Um, and we had seeded out product to, I would say, 500 or so of these individuals. We had time the launch of the brand with 
the delivery of the product. So we started building this hype on Instagram up until launch. And as soon as everyone saw, you know, these celebrities or well-known people in pop culture that were posting the sauce, we had launched the brand at the same time and we made a really big wave on social media. That was uh, December 2017, you said. And I feel like that's uh, not common, but I feel like a lot of brands in the last few years focused on building that kind of hype. And you, it seems like you were perfectly positioned to exactly do that kind of thing. Now that you're two years old, sort of how would you say the social media landscape has changed, especially as you're marketing the product? Are you still seeding it to influencers? What, how, what has sort of changed other than I imagine... CAC has gone up a great deal, though it went down. <laughs> what are the sort of the dynamics? Yeah, there are a lot of different dynamics. I just want to know sort of as you've been there, because you've sort of been there through the, the rise and the fall of it. Yeah, so on, on social, I think um, the only thing that's changed is we've become better at creating memorable experiences for our customers. We've um, continued to improve the content that we put out. We continue to improve um, the recipes that we put out. Everything that we do on social, we try to be um, very value added in a sense. You're never going to see anything from us that's, you know, telling people to go to our link in bio for posting something on our Instagram. It's just creating a, a very cool, well-received, relatable piece of content in many different forms. Um, and we're continuing to try and develop these relationships with the customers. And, you know, they're following along because... They like the brand. They like Truff. They like the product. They like the people behind it. They love seeing the content that, you know, really gets them excited about it and sending it to their friends. How has your distribution changed over time? Because you're in stores now and you're on different channels. How have you approached all those incremental changes? Yeah, um, I'd say it's like a slow development. I mean, if you look at our distribution today from day one, it's obviously night and day difference and I'll explain why, but it didn't just, we didn't wake up one morning, we had all this distribution. I think our initial strategy was of course, direct to consumer as it still is. But along the way, I think we slowly built um, momentum in retail. Um, early on, it was working with kind of marquee accounts like Neiman Marcus, for example. And then along with just independent stores in general around the country, some of them grocery, but a vast majority early on were more so gourmet and specialty. Um, and those accounts came in from them either reaching out to us or us reaching out to them. And then, um, of course, as we progressed, we started we started working with like Wegmans, for example, and then Central Market. And then um, this year, we were fortunate to roll out with Whole Foods nationwide. Um, and then I think to date, we're in a little bit north of 3,000 doors. Um, but, you know, I think our more omni-channel approach is extremely relevant because it's not just our website and these stores. We're also pretty big on Amazon, for example. Um, and I think the landscape changes every day and customers are always being found in different places. And so um, we're very, I would say agile, but we have a very kind of deep, we try not to get too wild and too loose. We try and do things that we think are going to work and, you know, we like to avoid risk where, you know, if we opened a thousand, I guess, Walmarts, for example, like who knows what's going to happen. And we try and avoid situations that could be detrimental. All right. We're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. You mentioned stores like Neiman Marcus. When when you were thinking about going into stores and you, you were talking with 
uh, more luxury department department stores like that. How did you, like what were sort of the conversations? What made you think that that would that would work with your branding in a store like that? Because I feel like some people might not think that it would that you wouldn't imagine to find a hot sauce brand in like a, a store like that. Yeah. So with Neiman, for example, I think I forget how if they reached out to us or we reached out to them or if it was mutual through a relationship or something, but. Um, they have an epicure department and they have a pantry section. And so it kind of fit right in. Mm-hmm. Um, it does it extremely well at Newman, mm-hmm. for example, also Bloomingdale's. Um, we do a lot of business with Bloomingdale's and mm-hmm. I think, and, and also uh, the Macy's story section as well. And these are just examples of department stores, but I think as things have evolved in retail, these stores have also kind of taken notice and are also willing to bring in unique things that might not necessarily be sweatshirt or something or a nice suit um but is something cool that customers can marvel over and it's a little bit more attainable does retail make up a bigger percentage of the pie than than online dtc no 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 uh, i don't know who's gonna answer that no no we're we're, we're still <laughs> we're still dtc heavy um but our retail business is expanding extremely fast right now um and that was kind of our goal as a brand was to create awareness before we really attacked retail head on for the obvious reasons of, you know, wanting to succeed in retail, making sure our velocities were up to par. Um, you know, our price point's a little bit high as a, as a hot, for hot sauce. So we can't just go mm-hmm. throw it on the shelf and, and hope it works. It has to work. And so we ha- did a lot of brand building prior to entering kind of mass retail. So we would avoid that downfall. So like with that, given the higher price point with like Whole Foods and Wegmans, which are more traditional grocery stores, is that do, is that just about brand building before or does that require storytelling in your packaging? Sort of how do you go about it so that you you, you work in a store place, a storefront like that? It's all the above. Um, it's it's yeah. brand building on, online and then also having amazing packaging, having an amazing product, making sure that a lot of people who are passing by in the store have actually already seen it. Um, Nick, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I was also just going to touch a bit on the packaging. Um, you know, we had looked at traditional retail when we were, you know, in the infancy of ideating the brand. And when we went to retail, we saw that a lot of the bottles had all kind of, you know, looked the same and all the labels kind of looked the same. And when we were thinking about creating the brand and designing the packaging. We wanted to create something that would look great on social media, but we also wanted to create a product that if you saw it on the shelf at Whole Foods or any of these stores that we're in, it would really catch your attention. Um, and then I think, you know, building the awareness and hype uh, prior to launching into retail, once we did, everything just kind of came together. So you mentioned you're on Amazon. Can you talk a little about your your Amazon strategy? Because now is an especially interesting time given that Amazon announced it, it's more in the fashion space, but it's it's luxury uh, section that's working on. And you guys have a more you, you build yourselves as a, as a luxury hot sauce brand. And so how have you sort of positioned yourself in the Amazon platform and what was sort of your strategy day one to make it so that people would would seek out your product and buy it there? Yeah. So on, on Amazon, the strategy is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, there's a lot of like hacks and games you could play to um, climb the ranks. But, you know, we decided we wanted to launch in, you know, the gourmet grocery section um, in the hot sauce category. 
and you know our product quickly became the, the number one best selling hot sauce on Amazon. Um, in our first year of business, we actually made the Oprah's favorite things list that launches in partnership with Amazon. So early on, we were put on this massive stage mm. um, on the e-com you know, side um, that lived on Amazon. And that business has continued to scale tremendously year over year. Um, can you, was that just sort of a surprise that happened or how did, how did that sort of play out where you ended up on sort of a list and that puts you in a very helpful place? I imagine the Amazon flywheel for sales. It, yeah, it was organic. I mean, it wasn't, we didn't launch in December of 2017 on that list. It was the following year, 2018, where we were named to the list and we had not been on Amazon up until then. Um, and so I think around October was our first. Our first time being on Amazon and then early November, the list comes out and the list gets, you know, it's one click away from the homepage, if not the homepage. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes they're featuring products on yeah. the list on the homepage. And so we literally go on Amazon and we'd like see Truff on their homepage. We we're like, oh my God, that's insane. And <laughs> so it, it just happened organically. I think uh, Oprah's team saw us online somehow and they knew she loves hot sauce and loves truffles <laughs> and she fell in love with Truff. And then um, she actually put our white shuffle version, you know, on the, the list in 2019, too. And so we're, you know, wow. beyond, beyond honored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting that Oprah love. Um, was Amazon, did you ever consider not going on Amazon? I imagine a lot of digitally native brands and even some in the food space, you know, as part of their whatever branding DNA say no. Uh, was that ever a consideration to not go on it or is it just, yeah, we're going to be there and meet the customers where they are. It was definitely a a main talking point, um, internally, you know, whether we wanted to put Trump on Amazon or not. Um, we did decide to do it because of this Oprah opportunity. And, you know, we did think about pulling the product off, um, and our brand off after, um, you know, the Oprah's favorite things was finished. But what we found is, you know, there is a set group of customers that are such Amazon loyalists and it's so convenient, you know, one, two click checkout. Um, it's an amazing experience for people. And we look at Amazon as more of a, a retailer versus our competition. That makes sense. Would you, I mean, do, are you putting as minimal effort into Amazon as, or like what is sort of, how do you, position your overall marketing efforts in terms of Amazon? Is it just sort of, you have these customers, they want it. And so you have it there, or are you, you know, putting more eggs in your basket there as, you know, as e-commerce picks up and more people are using it to buy grocery items? We follow, um, you know, all of the, the Amazon best practices in regards to how we design our product pages, how we design the enhanced brand content, um, how we're building out our advertising campaigns, keyword harvesting, um, so we're drilling in as deep as possible. Um, but also we see a lot of the efforts we do digitally on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, et cetera, um, translated to sales, not necessarily just on our site, but there's some, you know, overflow into Amazon as well. Mm. Interesting. How are you, is there, how do you, how are you able to track the, the Amazon, uh, attribution? Is that just, is it, I imagine that can be hard. Am I incorrect about that? No, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. There aren't any white hat um, ways to track <laughs> attribution. There are a few kind of, you know, 
behind the scenes things that um, we haven't really jumped into, but you can just look at the numbers, you know, based on advertising spend, based on trends um, that the efforts we're putting in off Amazon definitely translate into better sales, better performance on Amazon. Absolutely. You mentioned TikTok, and this is something I want to talk to you about because my colleague Anna recently wrote a story about it. And I think she talked to uh, you, Nick, uh, or, uh, about sort of how you're on TikTok and how it's been helpful. You know, you've, you've amassed a, a pretty solid following. Can you talk to me just a little bit about a how, how you've approached the TikTok strategy? Do you view it as an extension of what you did on Instagram? What have you been noticing? What's worked? What hasn't? Yeah. So what's really interesting when you're looking at the social media landscape is you can't have the same strategy on every channel. Every channel is a little bit different. You know, the Facebook user and Instagram user are entirely different. The TikTok user is completely different from the Instagram and the Facebook and the Snapchat. So you just really have to immerse yourself in the platform. TikTok, for example, really trying to understand the voice, the tone, the flow, the style of content, how people are talking, the trends, and then kind of set the brand in the middle of all this and not lose sight of the brand aspect, but take things that you're learning from this new platform and inject it into the DNA so you can start to build momentum with this new user base. Um, and quickly, Chuff's become the largest brand of hot sauce on TikTok. And it's a completely new generation of user, uh, of customer. So it's cool to be able to speak to this generation more differently than we would on Instagram and Facebook, for example. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done on TikTok specifically that's been unique and sort of how you approach that and how you dif that differed from, say, what you did on Instagram? Yeah, so the, the content style is a lot more run and gun, a lot of user-generated content. Um, We've really seen a lot of people get excited about Truff on TikTok. So they're creating their own recipes. So, um, you know, empowering those people, reposting their recipe videos, creating these relationships with up and coming amateur chefs, um, people that aren't even chefs, people that just enjoy food. Other cool things, other cool things we've seen have been like style, like, for example, the POV style, Nick. As we've had some big, big hits on point of view style content. And then we had a really cool behind the scenes um, video of us showing a photo shoot that a content creator shot. And that photo shoot, the behind the scenes of it was the content versus the shoot itself. And it also, you know, had a lot of success. So do you view specifically your stuff on TikTok as like all of it is brand building, but is it specifically brand building or how, like, how are you able to get them into sales? And what, what is sort of, how do you get that from point A to point B specifically because TikTok's commerce abilities aren't as robust as say the other platforms? So you get them to sales by not focusing on sales. <laughs> and as crazy as that sounds, you, you want to really create amazing content and amazing experiences that spark curiosity. And once people get curious about something, they're going to dive in deeper and they're going to want to learn more. And once they get far enough down the road, they're going to see that the brand that we built is very unique. The product that people are talking about in these videos is a lot different than 
other things they might have seen. So they eventually turn into customers, but we don't tell them, you know, go to our link mm-hmm. and buy our sauce. We don't, we don't want you to go to the link and buy. We want you to like our brand. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little about sort of the, uh, I guess, the velocity change you've seen over the last few months, given the coronavirus, everything going on? I imagine that your e coms exploded. They'll tell me if that's not true. Just sort of what have the dynamics shifted and what do you see? What do you think is going to happen throughout the rest of the year? Are you, um, especially in terms of your retail partnerships? Yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely saw a lift, um, especially earlier on when people were quarantined, quarantined, like not leaving their kitchens. Um, and then, of course, when you're at home, you're cooking food more. And then when you're shopping grocery stores, you're buying products in grocery stores. And so we saw a pretty tremendous growth, um, I'd say, in the early months of the pandemic. We were lucky, I think, to be digitally positioned to service a lot of demand. Um, and I think we were also lucky that a big part of staying home is eating and people wanting to create, cook their own food and make it taste awesome. Um, so there's definitely a lift there. Um, in terms of the rest of the year, what's going to happen, I think every day is a new world this, this year. So who knows? Um, I do think that, you know, come holidays, we're a very giftable product and we usually have pretty big holiday seasons. Um, and so I think just on trend with people not really much leaving their houses so much, I mean, it's not going to, people aren't going to be back to normal come November, December. So I think e-com will continue to, you know, prevail and thrive for all types of brands and businesses this year, um, more than, more than ever. And last question, but do you, are you changing the way you're thinking about retail partnerships specifically given all the like a lot of your retail partners aren't doing so well there, you know, with department stores, et cetera. Are you changing this types of stores or partners you're looking down the line because there's been such a sort of hollowing out of, of especially certain kinds of luxury retailers? Um, I don't, I don't think so. No. I mean, I think we'd all be surprised that I know the news looks very dire and in a lot of cases, a lot of businesses are going out of business. Um, but I think a lot of it's like restructuring debt in other situations to where, you know, if someone goes bankrupt, for example, it's not necessarily meaning they're gone forever. And mm-hmm. I think um, we definitely are not trying to shy away from one segment of retail versus another. Um, I think we're all as a planet rolling with the punches. And so who knows what's going to happen? And we're kind of making sure we're doing everything we can to support all of our partners. Um, and you know, I think time will be the only indicator of how the landscape changes in six months or five years. Absolutely. All right, Nick and Nick, this has been such an interesting conversation. Really appreciate you guys joining. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's an honor. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) It's been an honor for me as well. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Our producer is Pierre Bienname, who also produced our theme music. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.